Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, last week we, we started a new series of messages that we are calling Messed Up. And last week we talked about the idea of how stress messed me up. And it seemed like a lot of you could relate to that for some reason. And if you were here last week and the stress message did not relate to you, don't worry, it will. The holidays are around the corner. And so uh, you, can, you can thank me later. Uh, next week, we're, our topic is going to be church messed me up. And several people have asked me about this. Hey, when are we going to do the when are we going to do the church message? I'd be interested to hear the church message because you know I'm I'm asking for a friend. You know that's the that's the thing that you hear. And I think legitimately many many of you are. And the reality is that for for many of us there there may have been some times and places where in a religious setting in a church setting we may have some things that's it's good for us to talk about and see what God's word says. You may know somebody who it would be great for them to be here next week for that message as we continue to go through the book of First and Second Corinthians. And so I would encourage you, great week, to invite them to be with you. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 today. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, um, we're going we're gonna to jump into another topic here today. I'm, I'm thankful that this message lined up with Veterans Day. Over the last few years, I'd, I'd say probably the last five or six years or so, I've had the privilege of interacting kind of more on an individual or personal basis with, with some of you that have served or are serving here locally or, or in the past in some way in the military. And it's been interesting. As a result, I've developed like this whole new personal appreciation um, for our armed forces and, and the blessing that is and the protection that that brings to us here at home and the peace that that allows us to know in different places around the world. And it's because in the world, there is conflict. We live in a fallen world. And if we know there's going to be conflict, then it's also right for us to say, how do we handle that conflict? That's not just why we need a military. The truth is we have conflict in our everyday lives because we interact with fallen people. And how you handle it is critical because what you do with conflict will de determine how you protect your home and how you find peace in the world. So today, we're going to talk about how conflict can mess us up. We are in a city called Corinth, and we were there last week. We looked at how Paul ended up in the city of Corinth, his interaction there, his stressful time there. We saw in Acts chapter 18, and then we're working our way through the two letters that Paul wrote to this church in this city that he started. He was there for about 18 months, and then he ended up in a city called Ephesus, and a few years later, he's writing back to this church that's in Corinth. And some of you have been working with us, and we've, we've been reading through this, this book of First and Second Corinthians. We started last week, and there's little cards like this. If you weren't here last week, you can pick one of these up at the hub or one of the information desks that's around the building. And we encourage you, we're just a chapter a day. We're just reading our way through First and Second Corinthians. And the seven chapters we read this past week are the things we're going to look at today, and then we're going to read chapters 8 and on through for, for, through this week, and then next week we'll kind of pick up and we'll look at 8 through 14, and we'll talk about what, uh, what Paul is saying there. So I hope you'll join us in that. And the truth is, as you read this book, somebody said this to me out in the atrium just a little while ago, as you read this book, did you realize just how messed up this church really is? Like if you're reading it, there may be some places where you're like, I, I didn't even know some of that was in the Bible, right? It's like, there's some messed up stuff going on, and we can't dig into all of it today. We don't have that kind of time, but we're going to start where Paul starts and talk about the conflict that they faced. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Think about that. That's important. He's only 10 verses in, and he says this. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, and another, I follow Cephas, still another, I follow Christ. Paul starts the letter with some kind words. Then he says what good things God has done for them. He barely gets into the book. He's only 10 verses in, and he says, all right, we got to talk about your conflict. You've got this conflict that's going on in the church, and he addresses it right away. Here's why. Progress is often stalled until conflict is addressed. Progress is often stalled until conflict is addressed. Have you ever found that to be true? That if there's, if there's an issue, if there's a challenge between you and somebody else, before that's gonna move forward in the workplace, before that's gonna move forward in your marriage, before that's gonna move forward in your family, in some way, that has to be addressed. And Paul hears kind of through the grapevine, hey, there's trouble in the church because they were breaking up into these different camps based on who their pastor was or when they came into the church. Or if you read through, you'll find out a lot of it had to do with who was baptizing them. Almost like if whoever baptized you, you got like a little picture with them that you could put on your wall. And that was like, you know, oh, I was baptized by this guy. And so Paul started the church. And then a guy named Apollos came later and was, was teaching them. You read about that at the end of Acts chapter 18. And then there's, there's Cephas, which is, is another name for the apostle Peter, so they were talking, no, no, we belong to the big guy. He was the head guy. Or some of them just said, we belong to Christ. He's really the head guy. And they were separated out into all these little groups. What was it? It was conflict. It was division. If you get right down to it, it was, I'm right, you're wrong. My, you fill in the blank, is better than yours. My way is always right. And the book of 1 Corinthians is filled with, with conflict, conflict in the church, conflict with the culture, talks about sexual morality and lawsuits and issues around marriage and singleness and divorce, and there's all this that's here, and there's all this conflict, and what we see is this, that conflict messes us up. When we come head to head with it, when we come face to face with it, conflict has this tendency. It can divide the church, it hurts our testimony, it wounds our families, it destroys relationships, and unresolved conflict leaves us messed up. And it's something that we need to consider and that we need to think about because all of us will face it. So today, as we, as we talk about this, what I wanna show you, and, and we can't go through like all seven chapters that maybe you read this week, I wanna hone in on about four verses in chapter three that'll help us to get right to the heart of what Paul's saying to them about their conflict. And as we do this, we're gonna look at five steps to handling conflict. We're gonna look at five steps to handling conflict when it comes our way. Let's read it first, and then let me give you a couple of thoughts before we, we jump in. First Corinthians chapter three, verse one, Paul writes to them and says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. 
you're still worldly. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? And here, Paul kind of exposes the issues that are fueling their conflict, which are things we're going to have to look at if we don't want to be messed up by conflict. So before we jump in and I show you these five things, let me, let me just kind of throw a couple of thoughts out here to, to help you understand the way we're going to look at this. One thing is this. Today, as we look at this, I've decided I'm not going to be nice. Is that okay? <laughs> like, like Paul wasn't. Paul was just right out there. I kind of got the spirit of Paul over me today. And so... Uh, I'm not going to be nice. And here's the deal, because this message isn't about reconciliation. I think so many times when we talk about conflict, we want it to always have a happy ending. And we think that it's got to be about reconciliation. Here's, here's, here's the real news. This message isn't about reconciliation. It's about you. And it's about how you handle times of conflict in your marriage, on the job, in the church, in your neighborhood, on a Thursday coming up in a couple of weeks. When you sit down for Thanksgiving dinner and there's more than one turkey at the table. You know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> there's conflict that comes. So look, when that conflict comes, I'm not talking about reconciliation today. And I'm not trying to answer like the big question about conflict in the world. So many times when we talk about conflict, people like to go, oh, well, the world's so messed up. And I saw the headlines and there's just so much conflict. Look, we're not trying to answer the big question about conflict in the world. We're trying to talk about conflict in your world. Because if you'll deal with the conflict in your world, then that will change the world. That's how the gospel works. The gospel changes our worlds and then Jesus works through us to change the world. And look, here's, here's one other thought before we dig into this. And I think this is really important. I'm not concerned today about the other person. Like there's a lot of times in conflict when we look at it, we wanna say, well, look, th th this is their fault or this is what they did. And look, I know this, you've probably been wronged. Like somewhere in this conflict, the reality is there's probably something that's been done to you or that somebody said that was a bad thing. And as we talk about conflict today, this is not an admonition for you to stay in a bad situation. Like if you're in a bad situation, if you are in a place that is dangerously unhealthy or is dangerous for you to even physically be in, the Bible says get out of that, right? Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he says God wants us to live in peace. So I'm not saying stay in a place that is unhealthy or dangerous. Here's what I'm saying to you though. Even though there are times for us to separate in some way or another, this message is not about the other person in the conflict. This message is about you. And here's why. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. We'll get to this in a couple of weeks, but, but look at what Paul says here. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Do you see what he said here? When you stand before Jesus... Jesus is not going to look at you and go, boy, that's some spouse you had, wasn't it? He's not going to look at you and go, oh, sorry about your boss. One day, Jesus will ask you about what you did, not what someone else did. You're going to have to give an account for your life, for your words, for your actions, for how you dealt with the gospel. Your response is your responsibility. It's nobody else's. Your response is your responsibility. 
So we're, we're gonna walk through a lot of stuff today. My hope is that this won't be the only time you think about this sermon this week. And there, there may be some things that you might wanna write some things down and, and consider this for self-evaluation as we go through the week. But let's, let's jump in five ways, five kind of ideas to handle stress, or uh, I'm still back at last week. I was so stressed out. Handle conflict. Number one, grow up. Number one, told you I wasn't gonna be nice, grow up. <laughs> How many of you would like to say that to somebody in your world? Let's just, let's just say it together. It'll feel good. One, two, three. Grow up. Yeah. Now, don't do that to them. Don't do that. Go back to what Paul says. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it, Indeed, you're still not ready because you're acting like babies in this whole thing. It's time for you to grow up. Here's something that, that I've seen to be really true in the lives of other people and painfully in my own, that spiritual maturity is revealed in times of conflict. If I want to know where, where am I am at on the, in the, on the spiritual maturometer, <laughs> right? If, if there's a way to measure your spiritual maturity, there's no such thing. But if there was one... Where am I? Oftentimes, it shows up in, in moments of conflict. Anybody else? I'm not, I'm not always pleased with what I see there. You know how, like, oftentimes you'll see something online where, where you can click on a headline that kind of highlights things. It's like this self-assessment thing. It, it might say, like, like here's, here's how you know if you're a child of the 90s. Do you know what I'm talking about? Or this article, you might be from Toledo if you know what Tony Pacos is, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, we're going to walk through a few lists like that today, some self-assessment things that as we talk about these, and we're going to do it kind of rapid fire. These may be some things that you'll want to think about later. Put a little note in your phone to go back and, and consider some of this and look at some of these scriptures and, and some of the notes that will come out online with the sermon later this week. But we're going to walk through a few of these things. Here's the first one. As we talk about growing up, let's consider, are we becoming more mature in our faith? So you might be maturing if, we're going to consider that, because I don't know that you're ever fully spiritually mature. I think we always are growing, but are we in the process of maturing? So let me, let me throw a couple things your way. You might be maturing if, here's the first one, you can discern the source of the conflict. There, there might be some spiritual maturity that's going on in your life if when you're in the middle of the conflict, you can discern where the source of the conflict is because where the conflict is coming from will determine your response to it. Let, let me show you what I mean. Paul talks about this when he was talking about conflict in the church due to sexual immorality that was happening in chapter five. And he says this, verse 12, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside the church? And here's what he's saying. Those of us who are followers, who are believers in Jesus Christ, we hold that we live our lives based on the truths in this book. But if there are other people who do not live by that book, then they're gonna live in a different way than those of us who are inside the church and followers of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Right, so, so the same is true in the idea of conflict, and, and don't be negative about this, but here's something, anticipate conflict with unbelievers. Like if, if you have a conflict with somebody based on a principle or a truth that, that you live your life on because of scripture, but they don't share those same values, don't, don't be upset about that conflict. Actually, we, we probably shouldn't be surprised by it. Now, don't go looking for it. Like, I know some of those people. 
walk around with their fists up and a snarl on their face. You know what I'm talking about? Don't be that guy. But anticipate that there might be some conflict when people have different values. You can anticipate some conflict, and then you have to address conflict with believers. When there is that conflict, and we share those same values, we should be able to come back to those values and say, okay, if, if, if you're my brother or you're my sister in Christ, Scripture says, how do we work this out? We need to address that conflict. And then in the midst of all of this, be aware of Satan's schemes. Like as we talk about conflict, be aware of Satan's schemes. You know, there's, there's some people who every time anything happens that is bad to them, they blame the devil. The devil made it snow this week, right? You know what I'm talking about? No, actually, that was a cold front and a warm front, right? I mean, it's, just, it's not the devil. But there are times when it is the devil. Look at what Paul says. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We'll see this in a couple of weeks, but he says this. And, and watch the context. He says, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. So what's he talking about here? Relationships, forgiveness, <laughs> conflict. Verse 11, why do we forgive? In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Do you see what he said here? One of the places that the devil loves to come against us, where he likes to trip us up, is to get us to be in a place of conflict or a lack of forgiveness or where there's a challenge between us and another person. Because if he can bring that, then that's his scheme to mess us up. And he knows how to do it. Have you ever found that to be true? And have you ever noticed that the devil and all of his minions have perfect timing? Like there's just a way that, that he knows the right time to come at us. This week, I'm preaching about conflict. Guess what I saw some of this week? <laughs> conflict. Like it, it was like it came in a unique way. And guess who was more of a jerk this week? Me. <laughs> right? It's hard to believe. I know. Don't talk to my family. <laughs> Why? Because I think the devil knows what his schemes are to try to mess us up, and we need to not be unaware of that. In fact, you might be maturing if you become more aware. Where's this conflict coming from? Because then that's going to determine how I'm going to respond to it. Here's another thing that we see. You might be maturing if you are increasing in self-control. You might be maturing... If when you have those, those moments, and this isn't just in conflict, but let's just talk about conflict. If when you have those moments, you find out, hey, I'm, I'm growing up a little bit. Like, like I'm, I'm handling this with a little more maturity. You might be maturing if you are increasing in self-control. And just a third thing that I think Paul is, is showing us here, you might be maturing if you can get over yourself. If you can get over yourself, then, then maybe some there's maturity that's happening. Just within the last month, for the first time ever, there was an attempted murder on the continent of Antarctica. I don't know if any of you saw this in the news, but there's a, there's a Russian like, research base that's there. It's out in the middle of nowhere, um, which is all of Antarctica, right? But it's, it's there, and it's in a milder part of Antarctica where in the winter, the temperatures hover right around a balmy 15 degrees. Isn't that beautiful? Um, <laughs> I see our future. And workers there, like the people that work there, they spend time on their off time. They, they have to choose between flipping between two Russian TV stations that they get. There's a gym where they can work out, or they have this, this big library where they can read books. So Sergey has been there for four years with Oleg. These are their real names. These guys work there. 
And Sergei decides to pass the time, he's going to read some of these books. The problem is that over and over and over again, when Sergei went and picked out a book, Oleg would tell him how the story ends <laughs> and ruin it for him. And this has happened over and over and over again until Sergei couldn't take it anymore. So just recently, he went after Oleg with a kitchen knife and stabbed him in the chest. He couldn't take it anymore. Now, the dude's all right. Like, they, they say he's going to survive. He got shipped off to, to, a, to a hospital in Chile, and the other guy ended up back in the Soviet Union. And here's, uh, here's what uh, uh, their, their, their leaders have said, is that these guys were together for four years, and they think that the confinement added to the tension. Yeah, do you think? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe it did. Here's, here's my problem with this story. I'm, I'm not sure whose side I'm on, to be honest. Right? Because there comes a point where you're just like, all oh, this conflict, all this. Can I tell you, you're maturing if you do not grab the kitchen knife, right? Just write that down. <laughs> There's a right response to things, Sergey. That was not it. Paul says, look, I want to see that you're maturing. I want to see that you're growing. When I was a kid's pastor, I can remember very clearly, like you would watch when a kid would come in in first grade. And then you'd watch them and they'd grow up and then they'd go out of kids' church in sixth grade and you could see the, the, the growth that would happen in them because at some point it's like, okay, they're learning to use their words and keep their hands to themselves and little things aren't such a big deal anymore and they're developing this maturity that's in them because that's what we do as we go from preschool to adolescence and we move forward. Some of us get stuck in certain seasons. That's a whole different sermon but there's this maturity that needs to happen in us. And like it happens to us physically and it happens to us socially, it should happen to us spiritually and especially in places of conflict. So Paul starts here. He says, church, you got conflict. Number one, grow up. Number two, here's the second thing he says to them. Be humble. Number two, be humble. Here, here's how he says this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. He, he says to them, you are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? To which my response is to say, hey, newsflash, Apostle Paul, I am a human, <laughs> right? We're all humans. And we use that as an excuse sometimes. Ah, I'm only human. What Paul's saying is that even though you're a human, if, if you have chosen to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then over time, his spirit changes and transforms you. Here's his point. Our response to conflict should look more like Jesus than it does the world. He says, you're, you're still responding in a way that you would respond if you had not received Christ's forgiveness, if you'd not known Christ's grace. But because of what he's done for you, your response to conflict needs to look more like Jesus than it does the world. So he encourages them to respond with humility. You, you see this in this passage in a couple of things that he mentions. Let me, let me rapid fire a couple of those to you. You might need some humility if, and you, and you, don't, have to, you don't have to elbow the person next to you. This is just for yourself, okay? <laughs> but you might need some humility if you are jealous. He, he points this out. He says, look, some of you are jealous. Some of you say, I want what you have instead of what I have, and I want to have it, and I want you not to. Do you remember the culture that they were in? They were a selfie culture. It was very much about status and wealth and rivalries and what other people thought of them, very much like our culture today. And so there, there, there was this inherent jealousy 
that was there. He says, you might need some humility if you're jealous. He also says, you might need some humility if you're quarreling. If everything puts you in a place where you, you have so much tension that you just want to pick a fight, then maybe you need some humility. He also says, you might need some humility if you are arrogant. You might need some humility if you're arrogant. It's not so much in this passage, but when you, when you fast forward to chapter four, he says this about them. He says, some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you. Like they've dismissed him. They've dismissed his authority. They, they've dismissed everybody else but themselves. Earlier, he said it this way, verse seven, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? He's saying to them, look, you're, you're so full of yourself. In fact, the, the word that he uses there for arrogant, and then it gets spelled out in verse six of chapter four, it's actually translated like you're puffed up, you're inflated, you are, you are filled with yourself. There is so much self in you that you're growing beyond yourself and into other people. Have you ever, you ever been at like a, a sporting event or these, these seats are fairly generous and gracious, but have you ever been somewhere where you're sitting so close to somebody that you can barely fit in the seat? You know what I'm talking about that? And then there are other people who don't fit in the seat. Does that make sense? And you're like, you're right there next to other people. Well, in a, in a, in a, in a social sense, in a spiritual sense, in a personal sense, some of us are like coming outside of ourselves because we're so full of ourselves and that just is a breeding ground for conflict. Humility is essential to harmony. If you, if you wanna know harmony in your home, if you wanna know it in your workplace, if you wanna know it in your life, I think it starts with me being mature enough to humble myself. C.S. Lewis's quote is, is probably my favorite on this idea of humility. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less, which I think is really good advice. Paul says, look, in conflict, you need to grow up, you need to be humble. Here's the third thing he says, stop being divisive. Look, just, just stop, he says. Just stop being divisive. He says this, verse four of 1 Corinthians three. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? He says, look, you keep bringing it up. You keep saying it over and over again. You keep pointing out the divisions that you have. Paul says, stop it. Stop, stop stirring up the conflict. Stop being the stick that stirs the pot. Stop being divisive. How do you know if you're being divisive? Here's a couple of things that, that I think he highlights here. You might be divisive if you major on the minors. You might be divisive if you major on the minors, if you're constantly kind of picking and pointing out the small little negative things and allowing them to override any positive things, if that's constantly who you are, then you might be majoring on the minors. Paul, Paul points this out to them. Remember when he was talking about how they were all in different camps and it was all about who baptized them? He says this in verse 17 of, of chapter one, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Look, baptism is extremely important. We're gonna have baptisms offered next week. If you've not been baptized since you became a follower of Jesus Christ, 
I would encourage you, don't talk yourself out of it. It is an incredible experience. If you've not done it, it's an act of obedience. And, and you can sign up at the Hub or online. We would love to celebrate baptism with you. It's an important thing. But what Paul's saying to them there is, your baptism is not what really matters. It's what Jesus did for you. And you're letting your baptism become the major thing when actually the cross is the major thing because baptism is just a minor thing in the big scheme of things. Does that make sense? And if all we look at is the negative, if all we're looking at is the minors, it overrides the majors. In fact, think of this in the context of your relationships. If your relationship with another person is built on being critical of others, it's just a matter of time until it's you that they will be critical of. Think about that. If, if, at, the, if at the heart of your relation with somebody is that you are together critical of other people, it's just a matter of time until it's you that they're critical of when you major on the minors. Here's a, here's a second thing. You might be divisive if you expect others to choose sides. When you get in the midst of a conflict, the the, the the default mode is to try to divide up into teams. You might be divisive if you expect others to choose sides. Years and years ago in, a, in another state, uh, was a part of a church that had gone through like kind of a rapid succession over a relatively short season of time of three different pastors. And those transitions were kind of weird. And, and we came in kind of as newcomers. And I can remember you could tell within that church that there were like divisions almost based on when people had started coming to church and what allegiance they had to which pastor because there was an allegiance to this guy and that was one kind of group and then there was allegiance to this guy that was another kind of group and then there was allegiance to this guy and that was another kind of group and it was like you walked in and you kind of had to choose right away what group am I going to be a part of because they were so factioned based on their history and experience that they couldn't come together on a vision for the future and there was like this tension like you, you got to pick sides where do you belong who are you with and it was a weird thing. We need to look for what unites us and not what divides us. Like where are the places that we come together? That's in our families. That's, that's in our relationships with others. And if you expect others to choose sides, then maybe you're divisive. Here's, here's a third thing. You might be divisive if you have to be right. You might be divisive if you have to be right. Now look, that's... that's that's kind of unique for some of us because there's some of us who just are always right. Can I get an amen? <laughs> right? I mean, this is, this is kind of weird. <laughs> um, but for the rest of you, let's, let's talk about this for a minute. Um, <clears throat> this does get weird because sometimes you are right. Like sometimes there are some issues that are black and white. Sometimes there, there are things where you go, well, that's, that's a sin or it's not a sin. Or sometimes you're just like, well, look, that's socially acceptable or it's not. Or that's rude or it's not. Or the, like there are those moments. What do you do in those moments? Because so often that fuels the conflict. Look, the, the, at, at heart of what we're talking about today is that you are responsible for your, respons your, your response. Right? Your response is your responsibility. So how are you going to handle that? And look, there are times where you have to draw a line. There are times where you have to use some tough love. And all of that is based on grace and truth. Right? Isn't that what Jesus did? He spoke truth, but he always did it with grace. We say, God, if I've, got to, if I've got to make a hard decision, help me to do it by your grace with humility. That's where humility comes in, maturity comes in. But the reality is, if you always have to be right, if you have to win, if it has to go your way, then at its heart, you are being divisive. 
fact, some of us, we're just, we're quick to get in a fight over things. And sometimes we use a passage of scripture. You know, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul tells us to fight the good fight. And I've known people who get just kind of, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm supposed to be able to use words on a Sunday. They, they get kind of, you know, just mean about something. And, and they say, look, I'm just fighting the good fight. Yeah, but are you sure you're fighting the right fight? I think there's times when we need to make sure that your good fight is the right fight, that it's one worth fighting, that it's one that really matters. There was a, a symphony performance of an orchestra in Sweden last month, and at this, and you, you got a picture of this, I want to keep the players straight in your head, there was a lady who, during a, during a, right in the middle of one of the pieces, decided it was a good time to have a piece of gum. And for whatever reason, the package that she was taking it out of and as she's getting it like out of her bag and doing all this kind of stuff, she's making all kinds of noise doing this right in the middle of the symphony. Have you ever sat next to anybody like that? Like at a, at a, at a, a concert, maybe at a movie or in church, <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking about? So she's there. She's making all this noise trying to get her gum out. There's a guy, you know, I don't know how far, but down the road a little bit who's in proximity enough that he can't take it anymore. He reaches down, he grabs the package of gum out of her hands and throws it out into the aisle. He just couldn't take it anymore. She doesn't do a thing. She just listens to the music. About 10 minutes later, that particular piece wraps up. People stand and they cheer when they do. She looks over and she smacks the glasses off his face. Just, just. Hits the guy, knocks the glasses right off his face. At which point, so now here, understand this. You've got the chewer and the thrower. Are we clear? Do you know who we're talking about here? All right, so you got the gum chewer. You got the gum thrower that happens here. At this point then, there's a guy with the chewer who gets into it with the thrower. People kind of separate things. Hey, settle down, you know, do this kind of thing. You know, just stop, you know, this kind of thing. So it settles down. And then the guy with the chewer goes over to the thrower. And in the midst of this, it acts like they're kind of settling things. And as he bends down to talk to the guy, he punches him right in the gut. The concert goers describe the scene as, quote, very unpleasant. <laughs> it's an interesting thing to look at. Do you see the conflict that's there? The reality is, how do you handle those moments? What do you do in those times? Because there are these times where that conflict comes. What do you do? In the reading that will, that will start today, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, where we'll go next week, Paul begins to talk about more church issues. He talks about Food sacrifice to idols. We, we talked about this in our trending series last summer, and we'll, we'll get there next week, but, but watch what he says. He says, now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up. Do you remember that? Knowledge makes you full of yourself, while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. And this leads us to our next thought. You kind of have a choice. When you get to that moment of conflict, you can choose to be puffed up and full of yourself. Or the other alternative is number four, choose to love. Number four, in the midst of that conflict, that you choose to love. And I was going to masterfully, with great wisdom and brilliance, put together a list of what it looks like when you love other people. And I was going to say, you might need some more love if. And then I started doing some research. 
And you know there's a, there's a chapter actually in 1 Corinthians that describes love better than I ever could. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you, you've probably heard it somewhere. You ever heard it read at a wedding? Yeah, have you ever had Hobby Lobby tell you to put it on your wall? Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Right, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's all about love, right? It's, 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 it's this beautiful passage that's there. And so I wanna read this to you because it's this great example of what love looks like. But Paul didn't write it for a wedding. And Paul didn't write it for a plaque. He wrote it for Corinth. He wrote it for messed up Corinth. He wrote it for we got all kinds of conflict Corinth. He wrote it for these people who are in the heat of this situation. And to them, he says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Powerful picture there. And you think of some of the things that it says. Love's not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love, and this, this, one, this one hit me, love protects I guess pastorally, that one kind of stirred me this week because it's been a weird week for us as a, as a church. And I don't, I don't know what your week's been like, but it's just been a weird week where there's this moment where you just kind of get protective in certain times. This, this is what love does. See, love puts us in a place where we need to fight for each other and not with each other. And there's been like people in our church, there's been situations that have happened that have caused us to kind of go, we need to fight for these people. Like, like, just, and, and, you know, in a, in a church our size and with so many people and, and, and limited time, we can't, like, publicly pray for everybody in every situation. That's, that's why, like, we have in our Connection Center a prayer team that you can go that will pray with you. We hear a lot of these things coming back through. But we've been praying for people who have been face-to-face in a, in a cancer battle. People like, like Rosemary and Norma. And folks just this week who found out a diagnosis, like Debbie or Cadence, who's just 12 years old and down at the Children's Hospital in Columbus. And we're praying for her as she's in the midst of this situation. And then we've got folks in the church who have come face-to-face with death. They've lost parents and they've lost children just this week. And then there's injustice that happens in so many different ways where people are, are wrongly accused of things. Or some of you may have seen the, the, the story in the news about the young man that was assaulted in Cleveland last Sunday after the game. They may see that. That's Josh. He usually sits right down here on Sunday mornings in this service. He's, he's one of ours. He's part of our family. And then when I read that and it says love protects, I say, you know what? We're praying for you. We're fighting with you. It's so important that we're in the midst of this, that we're side by side with them because there's times when we want to fight against other people when we need to be fighting for them and with them in the battle that they're fighting. Does that make sense? See, that's what love changes inside of us. So here's what I want to do. I want to read that passage again from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, but this time I want to read it from a different translation because it it might throw you off balance a little bit. And I want you to think about this and allow the Holy Spirit to maybe kind of shine a spotlight on something and say, hey, your love could look a little bit different if it was more like this. Paul wrote, 
If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything. Some of this just isn't fun. (laughs) Trust God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Wow, Chad, that's good. But you don't know the conflict that I'm in. Like that was good for people in the other service. But this situation that I'm in, I've just been done wrong or I'm up against a real mess here or I'm not sure there's a win here or I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do or I'm not gonna put up with this anymore or I'm, or I'm, and we get to that point which takes us to the fifth thing and I think maybe at the very heart about handling conflict, number five, it comes down to a point where we honor God. That when we're in the midst of this conflict, we grow up, that we stay humble, that we make sure that we're not divisive, that we do our best to show and choose love. But ultimately, number five, we have to honor God. If you read further in chapter three, you'll see where where Paul says to them, look, it's not about who baptized you, it's about God. And then he says it even more clearly later, 1 Corinthians chapter six, verse 19. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you? whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Paul wrote that in the midst of talking about what what sexual morality should look like in the church, but those truths apply in every part of our lives. And if you break it down, you see this, that Jesus died for us. And because of that, We don't belong to ourselves anymore. We know that we are a part of his family. We find our purpose and our life in him. So that means that his spirit lives in us. And so when we bring chaos and conflict into our lives, we're dishonoring God by the way that we do that. And for some of us, this conflict thing is difficult and it has to start here. It has to start with the idea of forgiveness. And you can't forgive other people truly until you receive forgiveness for yourself. And that's why Jesus died for us. He paid the price on the cross for our sins and he rose again to give us life. And when we come to him, he gives us that forgiveness as our savior. And for some of you, when we pray in just a few minutes, maybe that's where you need to start. You need to start by saying, God, I need your forgiveness in my life. But what Paul is saying here that is so important is that even in the midst of those moments of just 
blood-curdling, heart-pumping, red-faced conflict. Those are moments when we need to honor God because it looks different. Our response to conflict is ultimately an act of worship. How we respond in the moment of conflict is actually showing God and showing others who he is in our lives. And I'm sure we've all messed that up at some point. And I'm sure it's good for all of us to consider. I remember when I was kids pastor that there were <laughs> multiple times when I would walk into a situation and you'd have two kids kind of alone with each other, or sometimes maybe even in a bit of a bullying situation where one kid is being mean or unkind or stirring up trouble with another kid, or maybe the two of them are going at it, and all of a sudden, the children's pastor walks in. And as soon as that authority figure, as soon as that leader walked in, I watched their demeanor totally change. And they went from being mean to each other to being like, they didn't have a care in the world. You know what I'm talking about? They're best friends until I walk out and the conflict starts again. Because when I was there, they wanted it to seem different than what it actually was. And I think all of us at some point have probably been busted by a teacher or we've been talking about somebody not knowing that somebody was standing right behind us. Ever been there? And the reality is that when you're in these moments of conflict, that's a moment where you have to choose, am I gonna honor God in this moment? Some of you have, have had the opportunity to go through a, a wonderful teaching called Love and Respect. We offer it from time to time here, and it's about communication in marriage, and I think it's some of the very best stuff on the subject of marriage. And one of the things that they teach in that is that when you're in that moment of tension in, in their context with a spouse, but let's just say it with anybody, when you're in that moment of conflict with your, with your husband or your wife or your parent or your child or your boss or your coworker or your neighbor or your family member or that person across the dinner table from you at Thanksgiving, when you're in that moment of conflict, their encouragement is that you picture just over that person's shoulder that Jesus is standing there because he is. And realize that in that moment, you're not responding to that person that's a moment where you honor God because someday God's going to ask you about how you handled that conflict. And he's not going to say, boy, you had quite a spouse. He's not going to say, sorry about your boss. He's going to say, what did you do? What did you say? How did you handle that moment in that time in your life? In those moments of conflict, will we choose to honor God? And so, Father, today, we thank you for your word. Because, God, it has a way of, of getting right down to where we live. Lord, in the areas of maturity and humility and divisiveness and love, Lord, you're challenging us today to honor you in these places in our lives. Lord, give us wisdom to know what fights to fight. Give us your words. Give us your insight. While we're in this moment with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, whether you're here in this room or you're watching this on a screen somewhere, if you'd say, Chad, would you pray for me today? Because I, I feel like I may be in a season of conflict. And I want to honor God. This is timely. And I want to honor God in this moment in my life. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? This was a timely word for me today. God, I want to honor you in the midst of this conflict. 
It's okay. Hands all over. You just raise your hand, put it right back down. God, I want to honor you in the midst of this conflict. Father, we come to you today. Lord, you know the situations that we're in. God, would you help us to honor you? Lord, with our words, with our actions, with our apologies. God, in all those moments, may we honor you. Lord, I pray for the one who needs to begin with forgiveness from you. Lord, would they look to you and trust in you as their Savior and their Lord today. God, thank you for your word. Now, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. God, that you'd send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.